every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This is executive producer Ben Wilson, and on today's episode, we welcome Latney Conant, CMO of Sixth Sense. On this episode, Latney discusses the concept of the dark funnel and how to shine a light on it, why it's important to focus on demand capture, and much more. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, host of Demand Gen Visionaries and CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I am joined by the amazing Latney. How are you today? Ian, I can't believe that I am a demand gen visionary. You are. This feels like a dream come true. Like I should pinch myself. If no one else is a visionary <laughs> in demand gen, you are. And recent author with your book out right now, No Forms, No Spam, No Cold Calls, The Next Generation of Account-Based Sales and Marketing. It's out now. Everybody can check it out. This is going to be a great interview I'm super excited. Let's get into it. What was your first job in demand gen? So my first job in demand gen was being a frontline salesperson, right? And happened to gin up a lot of pipeline. So that was probably my, <laughs> my, my first job in demand gen and gave me a lot of uh, experience doing it. And then I've always loved a great party, Ian. In fact, my mother-in-law is convinced that I'm just an overpaid party planner. But I'm good at, I'm really good at creating cool, interesting experiences and bringing people together. I think that's one of my superpowers at work and also just in my personal life. So I started basically going around the country running all my own field events, which kind of ticked the current marketing team off. And so then we decided to actually break out and have a field marketing team. And I took that and ran that for us at Aperio. And then I started an inside sales team because that kind of goes hand in hand. And then lo and behold, at some point I became the CMO there. So the best thing to do is to look around and see things that need to get done and just start doing them. An overpaid party planner is is better than an underpaid party goer, I suppose, which is, I think, more of more of my speed in the matter. <laughs> okay, so let's get into our first segment. This is the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? This is where you can feel honored and trusted and share your deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. If you were to say, what is your overall demand gen strategy? How would, you, how would you classify that? So I cannot separate brand from demand. And the reason I say that is because I think the best demand gen make people feel something. They create a connection. 
right? And I, I started off talking about being, I love creating experiences and getting the right people together. And that's kind of when the magic happens. And so demand gen is really about figuring out how to do that at scale. And what I've been able to do, which has been so freaking cool the last year, is kind of break some of the traditional tactics or things that we think about in demand gen and reimagine them from an experience first perspective. So what do I mean by that? What I mean is if you look at how you go to buy, Ian, in your personal life, but also at work, if you're going to go and make a purchase decision, you're not going to go to your boss without doing a fair amount of research. You're going to ask a bunch of people on your team. They're going to want to do research on making this purchase decision. And the first thing that we do in sort of the classic traditional demand gen is we put up a form and prevent that research from happening, which I think is kind of ridiculous. And the whole idea behind the form is to get an email, to send a bunch of emails. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking, I have 32,749 unread emails right now. Clearly I have A, an organizational problem, and I'm probably somewhat of an outlier with that many, but I mean, people create whole email accounts just because they don't want to deal with all the emails they get, right, from filling out forms. So we spam people, which is, I think, not a great strategy. And then what ends up happening as a seller in B2B is you have these quote-unquote leads that are really just someone who either wanted the ebook and so gave you the Mickey Mouse at AOL email, or is coming in hot, which means they're probably inbounding with five or six other people. And so you're too late. So sales is stuck kind of in a bad situation, making cold calls for the most part to create good pipeline. And I don't think that's a great experience for anybody. It's not great for the prospect and the buying team. And it's not really that fun for us in sales and marketing roles. So coming from that perspective, About a year ago, I was here at Sixth Sense, which is this super cool AI-based platform, but feeling kind of like a colossal F-up because the technology was really advanced and, you know, all these demand generators are doing all these things. and, And I'm like, what am I doing here? And so I took this step back and I said, well, what you know, I'm crying and I'm talking to my husband and he's like, you got to play to your strengths. And I'm like, I don't know my strengths. Ah!" You know? And I said, wait a second. I know customer experience. That's what we did at Aperio. I understand employee experience and how to do this. And I happen to have access to this technology that can tell me so many rich, so much rich insights about prospects and what they're doing. I'm just going to blow this thing up. And let's prove that if we put prospects and their experience first, we can generate an F load of pipeline and succeed and do it in this new and different way. And so we started that experiment last July and have basically, we spent about nine months proving it out. And then we documented everything that we did and how we did it. And that's what materialized in the book that you just mentioned that just launched. Which by the way, I bought 
as we were uh, starting the episode. 99 cents. I don't know when the price is going up, but unbelievable. Delivered to my Kindle cloud reader. What a deal. We try. We try. All the money goes to charity. So that's kind of cool. We've got this thing called Good Sense where we give to various causes. So I'm just pumped to get it out there. You know, it's so funny. I have the BDR team or some people call them SDR teams and they're so awesome. They're so energetic and just amazing people to work with. And, you know, I've had that function under me before at a past company. And usually what you get is restraining orders and complaints and all kinds of nonsense about people saying that they're annoying them and stop calling me and blah, blah, blah. Well, this team and with this approach, every quarter we get emails to our CEO calling out our BDRs and their outreach and how timely it was, how personalized it was. So, you know, we're doing something right, I think, with how we're orchestrating this. Yeah, so let's get into it. For those of our listeners who don't know, can you share a little bit about Sixth Sense? Sure. So we are an account engagement platform. What does that mean? Well, what that means is we solve kind of three big challenges, really four big challenges. One, most buying behavior is anonymous. So depending on whose research you read, it's anywhere from 50 to 70% of the sales cycle is done anonymously. Um, And as a seller and a marketer, that's incredibly frustrating. Even if we are still using forms, people aren't filling them out. So what we help people do is really understand that anonymous research. We call it uncover your dark funnel. So we talk about the fact that you've got all this anonymous research. It's not just me doing research. It's you, Ian. It's Ben, who's producing this podcast, doing research. All of us are make up a buying team. And we need to, as sales and marketing professionals, be able to put all of that anonymous data together to shine a light on that dark funnel. So that's huge. The other thing that's huge as sellers and marketers, and this is part of the story with no forms, no spam, no cold calls is, yes, I want to deliver an amazing experience. I talked about geeking out on that and feeling like it's a personal superpower, but I also want to go to sales club and make money. And I also have a CFO. You know, I don't have unlimited budget to go and build pipeline. And so, yes, you pick up all of this signal and you understand who's in market and doing research for your solution, but then you also have to be able to prioritize that. So what accounts are a great fit for you to sell to are early stage and what accounts are late stage in their buying process? Why is that important? I'm going to use different tactics and I'm going to spin up different levels of resources and budget depending on all of those things. And so what we're able to do is provide these amazing predictive models that show me who's in market for my solution, who the, who my ICP, my ideal customers to reach out to are, when to reach out to them and what the right message or tactic is. And that kind of brings me to my last challenge, which is marketing is very diverse, right? It's not, I I talked about email and all my emails. That's not the way to reach me. It's just not going to work for you, right? But maybe it's a social touch, maybe it's a direct mail, you know, maybe it's advertising or content. There's all these different ways to reach people. And so how do you, as a marketer, orchestrate that across all of these different channels and do it in a way that is personalized and scaled? So 
all of that we do for customers in Sixth Sense. So they uncover their dark funnel, they can prioritize their resources and focus on the best accounts, accounts that are ready to buy. And then it's this orchestration of tactics across both sales and marketing to make sure that you're being effective in researching prospects. And what does your organization look like? How do you structure your marketing team and and structure your demand gen team? It's interesting. So when I started at Sixth Sense two years ago, it was me and one other amazing lady who now runs customer marketing for us. And it was just the two of us. And we've built this. And and I've brought a lot of folks over from Aperio, which is a company I worked at before. But essentially, I'm somewhat having to redesign marketing roles based on this new approach. And I see a couple things happening. First and foremost, um, I have an awesome partner in sales with Mark Ebert, our head of sales. And we decided early on not to have sales ops and marketing ops, but to have revenue ops. And so we put revenue ops together under one gentleman and he owns the data and the insights and that kind of experience cycle that I talked about. He owns making sure that my team and the sales team have access to all the dark funnel data, the prioritization, the measurement, so that we can all be on the same sheet of music and be successful. That I think is really important for modern sales and marketing teams. Second is a lot of times digital marketing is kind of a weird it's either in somewhat in demand gen or it's kind of off on its own, typically in demand gen. What we have done is we've put digital marketing under brand and created digital experience. Because again, if I know that more and more of my cycle is going to be digital, I need to be looking after the full end-to-end journey and providing an amazing experience. And to me, brand trumps demand to some degree. Um, So we put those things together and look across that experience to make sure it's personalized and we're using the latest and greatest technology, things like chat, things like content hubs, things like calculators so people can understand where they are in relation to their peers. Um, And we follow this methodology that a guy named Brent Adamson created about buying jobs and helping people complete their buying jobs. So that's a big aspect of, of what we do. And then, and then we have kind of like a growth role, this amazing gentleman who run, he started out running our BDRs and now he's really looking after kind of overall pipeline for us and partnering a lot with field marketing to say, if we're creating all of this demand and we've uncovered all this demand that was in the dark funnel, it's not really about generating demand anymore. I know your podcast is called Demand Gen Visionaries. I would challenge the new world order to be thinking about not demand generation, but demand capture. Because if you've uncovered the dark funnel, then you actually see the demand right in front of you. And it's about, okay, now how do I go and capture that demand with the best experiences, the coolest field events, the best content, direct mail packages, cadences, personalized outreach, things like that. And then of course I have product and customer marketing as well. So that's kind of how I think about the team. Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating. I'm so curious to see, you know, how the next months and years develop on this. It does seem like you are truly rethinking the strategy of how to align your team to go get those accounts. You know, obviously you're selling to marketers predominantly. What does your persona look like? Who are the types of people who buy Sixth Sense? 
we truly do sell to a buying team and our functionality, you know, our platform services three, really four main personas. So the typical demand gen visionary like that would come on this show ahead of like SDRs or, or BDRs is a critical persona. And then obviously digital demand gen, because we've got amazing kind of advertising capabilities, programmatic advertising display, as well as like paid social with LinkedIn. And then really, really importantly, sales. So most of our programs have 50% of kind of the use cases or sales use cases. Because if you think about the formula that I'm talking about, it's so important for sales to know when to engage, right? So for sales to know when an account is in market so they can do their outreach. For sales to know just because you're starting to meet with a client and maybe you think you're winning a deal, the reality is it's an iceberg, right? So there's what they're telling you and the meetings that you're having. And then there's all these things that are happening underneath that iceberg. And we want to provide that to sellers so they understand what competitors are in this deal. What website pages are they visiting? What keywords are they researching? That could drastically change my pitch, my deal strategy. And so we want to be able to provide those right in front of sellers so they can do the best job and show up in a way that they can be proud of. Well, let's get into some of those. Our next segment is the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. So this is where you get to open up the playbook a little bit and talk about some of those tactics, some of those strategies, some of those best practices on the way that you capture that that demand. So if you had three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items, what are those three? Yeah. I like that. So the first thing I would say is something called the value card. And this is a term we kind of made up, we created. But when I talk about the, you know, no forms, no spam, no cold calls formula, it's not that we're not sending emails ever. And it's not that we're not calling. I'm not banning people from using a phone. I'm not taking their cell phones. But what it is saying is, Our emails and calls are all geared toward to add value based on a ton of insights and based on accounts that we know are in market. And so how does that inform our playbook? Well, something that we do is this value card. So basically what happens is when an account is in market, a BDR gets notified that the account is in market, and then they can see the top keywords that the account is researching. And so then what marketing does is we take all of the top keywords on a quarterly basis and we outline what that keyword means for each of our key personas. So it's best if I walk you through an example. So let's say this quarter we look and we see, oh my gosh, in our ideal customer profile, predictive analytics is right now one of our top keywords. We need to create a value card. So we create a value card. The value card is for predictive analytics. If you are the head of sales researching predictive analytics, that means, Ian, that you are interested in probably things like forecasting accuracy, deal acceleration. If you are the head of demand gen researching predictive analytics, you probably care about lead scoring or lead quality. So we essentially map this keyword to each persona so that when I'm a BDR and I see that you're in market and I see the research you're doing and I see it's predictive analytics and I see that you're demand gen, 
I'm going to have a different conversation and I'm going to marry up different content than if you're in sales. So these value cards are key to ensuring that right from the start of our outreach, we are adding value to the persona we're outreaching to. So that is a huge part of our playbook. The second part of our playbook is something called a 6QA. So I don't track MQLs. I don't care, never have. So we'd have no MQLs and and don't worry about them. What we're looking for is to understand the sweet spot in a buying journey when enough people on the buying team are engaged, meaning they're consuming content and the account has gone from learning to, we think, open to engagement. So how do we determine that? Well, we want to look again at the dark funnel data. So we want to look at anonymous data and known data. And we want to look at four kind of key scores. We want to look at, is this even a good fit account for us? Is this in our ICP? So we have a model that is constantly updating, looking for accounts that meet our ICP criteria and look like other accounts that we have won. So it's always updating and changing in real time. That's first. Second is a model that looks at who is typically on a buying team for closed deals for us. And how is that buying team? Are these the right personas engaged? Third is the level of engagement and the types of activity they're doing. Are they on our pricing page or are they on a competitor website? And then fourth is kind of this timing model that tells us where they are in their journey. And that, all that comes together to give something, a score called a 6QA, which is a six cents qualified account. And that triggers a lot of our outreach and process. The value card and the 6QA are super, super critical to our playbook. And then the, the third thing that's critical to our playbook is how we connect up channels, be it our chat bot, be it our content hub to a dynamic segment that's always changing to make sure that our experiences across the board. So wherever you go, we can kind of follow you and you as an account and make sure we're delivering a personalized experience. I would say those are the three big components of our playbook. And then so when it comes to the types of money that you're spending to, you know, to capture that demand you know, creating content, doing things like that. What are some of the things that have worked really well in the past year? Yeah, so we're crushing it with direct mail. Interesting. Crush, 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 crush. So that has been really, really great for us. And we use both Alice and Sendoso for our direct mail. So we use both of them. We think they're different use cases. So that's been awesome. Another big part of our strategy, and it's interesting because this was part of our strategy pre-COVID, And I guess sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, but I've always had a video first strategy for content development because from one video asset, you can create so many derivative pieces of content. From a video asset, you can create a podcast, you can create social tiles with quotes, you can create blogs, you can aggregate them and create ebook. You know, you can just like go lots of places from a video asset. So we've always really thought of our strategy as being video first. And that has really helped us because, you know, people have a human need to connect and to see the whites of someone's eyes, right? And so we get just a ton of great engagement on our content, I think, with, with that strategy. 
I mean, yeah, preaching to the choir on that, obviously, considering we make podcasts for a living. The thing that we always just got feedback on with video is just that it's so expensive that like, I mean, obviously, depending on the type of video, but it can just be so costly to do expensive shoots and then, you know, all that sort of stuff. So we, we generally found that like you have podcasts is like the probably depending on the type of shoot you're looking at like either five times cheaper or, or somewhere in that in that mix and you still can make all the derivative content all that other stuff but i i totally agree i mean i think if you're creating things that are like actually novel and practitioner driven or research driven or things like that like it, you really can't beat it like it, it just especially with so many people that are out there putting out like really low quality kind of like ten dollar an article type content I hate that crap. Oh, it's horrible. Well, the other thing, Ian, about call it a, a podcast or a vodcast is people get writers, but like interesting people with interesting ideas internally and externally, you know, that are great content sources often have writer's block and often their personality doesn't really come through when they go to write. So you can capture actually a lot more nuance that then again can turn into a blog, but you wouldn't have even gotten that if you first asked them to write or interviewed and then wrote it because some, some of it gets lost in translation. So anyway, we're, I think we're in agreement on that one. But it's an investment that is, it's not a one-off sort of a strategy. And I think that that's kind of, so the point that you were making is like, don't view things as like, okay, well, we did this and then we did it. It's like, a journey. It's an evolution of whether it's the content or the activities that you're making that it can, there's ways to have it continue on in an impactful way. And there's ways to, I think, help people create things rather than just kind of like try to take a, take a talented writer and say, Hey, write me, you know, three articles a week. Like that's just a very difficult proposition. And you have to find that person and then retain them, which is really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Any other things that you've done or, or campaigns, maybe favorite campaigns that have worked really well? Favorite campaigns. Gosh, I love them all so much. We had kind of an interesting program that has turned into like my COVID silver lining. So we were in the middle of a road show, a CMO road show, where we were going around to all these cities and having breakfast with CMOs and talking about this new research that we had dropped, the state of predictable revenue growth. And so March hits and A, the premise of the study sounds insane. <laughs> Because nothing is predictable. <laughs> and B, obviously, we're not able to travel around to all the cities like we had planned. So we scrambled around and we did, you know, a virtual breakfast, which I was like, this is going to be so lame. And I was so stressed about it. And we pivoted and we kind of did this virtual breakfast and, and we said, you know what, we're not going to talk about predictable revenue growth. That's insane. We're just going to talk about what the hell is happening and what, what are we going to do as CMOs? Like, our work, you know, everything's changing. And so we had this discussion and we ran out of time, right? And so it was like, well, let's get together again next week. And we just kept iterating on very, very relevant topics that are here and now that CMOs cared about. And they would we would send out a survey. They would tell us the topics they wanted to talk about. We tried to find an expert. If we couldn't, it was okay because I had all these brilliant CMOs on, on the call that would talk about what they were doing. And we just honestly have kept it going and going and going. And now it's, I mean, we've probably done almost 40 of them because we do it two times every Friday 
It's been going on since March. We have about 500 CMOs that participate. And it's been so awesome. So awesome. So I don't know if that's a campaign really, but it's definitely a silver lining that came out of a campaign that's been really valuable to me. So can I tell you that I had someone reach out to me two days ago and say, Ian, loving Demand Gen Visionaries, you should have Latney on the show. She's been doing this thing in the mornings and it's like really incredible. Oh, well, that's good. It, it is a fair amount of work to orchestrate. I mean, I hope it doesn't feel that way for, for you know, the participants, but Matt Hines with Hines Marketing Group helps because it is like we've got to, you know, we want to make sure that everyone gets a chance to talk that wants to talk and keep it engaging and keep the group the right size so that it doesn't get on, you know, and then get an interesting person on to share perspective on whatever the topic is. And, and then we actually put all the content in a content hub. So what's what the coolest part I think is CMO share. We covered, we covered customer advisory boards last week. I haven't checked it out. I got sent the link for it. I'm going to check it out. I am obsessed with customer advisory boards. I just think it's endlessly fascinating for some reason. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, but one of the ladies said, here's the charter I created. And so we have a sample charter, you know, because like, I don't like theory. I like, I learn from examples. Like, I want to see what you did and your agenda. And then that'll be my starting place. And we'll go from there. But like starting from scratch is hard, you know? Totally. So we try to put, you know, things like that in the hub that people can use uh, along the way. So that's, it's been awesome. Yeah. You mentioned it was a lot of work. I mean, how do you budget something like that? How do you, uh, how do you talk to your leadership team and say, Hey, you know, I just feel like this is the right thing to do. You don't, (laughs) you just kind of do it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a girl's got to have some secrets. That's well, you know, it's funny though, because the one thing that's probably the most valuable asset, uh, what's the most valuable asset that we all have, but specifically with CMOs is your time, right? But it's the one thing that, that you're probably not getting audited on. So, so you could recalibrate. Exactly. Exactly. I think over time, you know, you earn the right to take risks and trust your instincts. And I will say I was just on women in revenue and doing a lot of mentoring and I love that stuff. And Like the biggest thing that I've learned and I'm still learning, but when I look back on like the biggest like things that I've f***ed up, it's it's when I knew it was the right thing to do and I didn't do it because someone told me not to, or my gut was saying something and I didn't follow my gut because I wasn't confident enough. And so I just always encourage people like you got to really, if if your gut is telling you that it's the right thing to do, it it probably is. And sometimes you got to take those risks. How important is your website? How important is the website? I mean, pretty freaking important. Um, I think that what people don't realize is the front page of your website isn't... The website is this spider web of tentacles and landing pages. And But I would say your digital... Call it your digital spider web is very, very important. I like that. That's a really good point about... Because we are super obsessed with the, with the front page. Yeah. Like I get all the, you know, I mean, every day you get a comment, why I want this button. No. And I'm like, literally like, no, that's not even how people find us. <laughs> so, but whatever, <laughs> you know? So anywho. Okay. Let's get to our next segment. The dust up. Uh-oh. Here comes trouble. You may have heard 
heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. This is where we talk about health tension. And so I'd imagine you have a famous dust-up somewhere in your background, whether it's with the board, the sales team, a competitor, or anyone else. Do you have a famous dust-up? I had a huge dust-up with Snoop Dogg. No, no way. Yes. So Snoop Dogg was supposed to... So we were known at Aperio for our Dreamforce party. Okay, it's the best party. <laughs> I know. I've been to it, by the way. Okay, it's amazing, right? I can, I can attest. So best party at Dreamforce, but I had felt like it, it had kind of gotten... Um, I don't know. It had gotten too froofy and like, I don't know. I just wanted to make a change. So we decided we were going to go a completely different direction and have it be really gritty and underground and like reduce the number of people dramatically. And we booked a mystery guest. And we had this whole social campaign to like guess who the mystery guest was. And it was supposed to be Snoop Dogg. And the day of the party... I'm in a meeting and I look outside the window and my, all my field marketing team is crying. And I'm like, oh God. And our general counsel is there. And I'm like, oh God, oh God. Snoop freaking bailed on us. <laughs> it was so stressful. So we had to run around and literally like take out $30,000 in cash to go get E40 and too short because I needed gangsters. Oh no. Because I had promised like a gangster type gritty party. <laughs> and so we 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 secured new gangsters and had a rager. Some people loved it, some people were completely appalled, but we pulled it off. But I'm still kind of pissed at Snoop Dogg for bailing up. Well, as as a guy who's born in Oakland, I fully support. I would rather see Too Short and uh, E40 any day of the week over Snoop, and I've seen all of them, so uh, I'm I'm for it. It's you know sometimes uh, you know life life gives you uh, lemons, but I would have gone the other way. I'm I'm with it. Good, good. That's hilarious. That is a pretty famous dust up. I think you're going to win this for for a long win this category. It's not a competition, but I think you're winning the dust up category. Nice. Nice. Any way that you approach relationships with sales seems like you're pretty tied in on on those things. Any uh, relationship advice uh, with sales? So one of the things I talk about in the book is just being a recovering salesperson. And we were taught a process called looking for red flags. And what looking for red flags is, is finding like all of the things that could go wrong in a deal and bringing them forward. And that was a good thing. Because that meant that you were like finding issues and able to cover off on them so that your deal didn't go sideways. And so I use that mentality when looking across our entire revenue cycle. And what's helpful is that's a process that I run. Our revenue ops team helps us with and really works for sales and marketing alignment because it's, hey, it's no, you know, no ego, full transparency. As a revenue team, let's always be finding our red and always be bringing issues and conversion points forward that aren't performing because that gives us a chance to go and fix them. And so the combination of that, and then I use a planning tool called V2Mom, which allows me to like hyper-prioritize with my team, the initiatives we focus on. And, and, I, and again, giving 
sales and, you know, everyone at the organization, like true transparency on everything we're working on, there's nothing to hide is helpful. You know, it's funny. So I, I used to V2 mom as well. Um, and I haven't done it for my new company and I don't know why yet. So you've given me a to do. I love V2 momming. I think I, sh- I want to be a consultant that does V2 mom next. So I'm happy to do a workshop with you and your team. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> we will absolutely take you up on that. That is that is for sure. Okay, let's get to our quick hits. These questions, quick questions, quick answers, just like how quickly you can talk to someone on your website. If you're using qualified.com, we love the people at qualified.com. They're the presenting sponsor of this show. They're amazing. Your prospects are on your website. Go talk to them. If the CEO of a Fortune 500 company walked into your office, would anyone talk to them? They probably would. Well, that's what's happening on your website, qualified.com. Quick hits. Latin, are you ready? I think so. Number one, have you picked up a new hobby during shelter in place? Wake surfing. What? (laughs) Yeah, wakes. I was just looking i was this weekend i was looking at a bunch of wake surfers and i was like that's got it somebody must have picked that up during (laughs) during quarantine and they must be extremely sore are you sore you must be it's actually not as hard as what like some of the other water sports for an old lady like me because you don't go as fast like if you think about it slalom skiing you're going like 30 miles an hour Two skis, you're going like, I don't know, 25. And with the wake surf, you're going like 10. So it's actually better for us old fogies. Interesting. I like it. That's a great one. How about, you know, I know you've been writing a book for a long time, but have you had time for reading any any books or listening to podcasts or anything like that? Oh my gosh, yes. I, sort of. So I found this comedian who used to work at Google And now she writes all these hysterical books. Like one, she has one that I just ordered, How to Be Successful Without Hurting Men's Feelings and Other Non-Threatening Leadership Strategies for Women. Sarah Cooper, she's hysterical. Oh, she's hilarious. I've seen her yet. Her stuff is all over. Yeah. So she's just really really funny. So I've been, (laughs) that's what I've been reading. (laughs) Do you have a favorite quote or motivational phrase or just any quote or motivational phrase, I, I suppose. Anything worth doing is worth overdoing. If you weren't a CMO, what would you be doing? Hanging out with my kids. I wouldn't work. <laughs> I only want to be a CMO. <laughs> That's what I want to do. <laughs> I love being a CMO. It's the best job ever. What's the title of your next book? This one nearly killed me. Yeah, you got another one in there. Once you, once you, it's like getting a tattoo. Once you get one, then you, you have to get multiple. I don't know. Maybe the CMO files or, or something like that. Sounds like a great podcast. Yeah, we'll see. Lenny, that's it. That's all we got for today. Any, uh, any final thoughts? Any, uh, any other stuff? Obviously, everyone needs to check out No Forms, No Spam, No Cold Calls. Go buy it. It's on Amazon. Just get it for your team. Buy the whole team one. You know, you got a 200-person marketing org, just buy 200. It goes to charity. Totally. Totally. No, this is awesome. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's been great chatting with you. Yeah. So if there's any other stuff for, for Ladney, you can check her out on Twitter, on LinkedIn and all that stuff. We'll link it up in the show notes. You are a demand gen visionary and a, and a wonderful storyteller. Thanks for joining. We'll, we got to have you back in the, in the coming months. All right. Talk soon, Ian. Take care. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.